mind and heart and, and misaligns your priority. For instance, if you are very anxious about how you look, your physical appearance, then your mind is going to be full of thoughts about how much you weigh and how to lose weight and how to be more in shape and what clothes you wear and how your hair looks. I mean, those are going to be the things that this consume you. You're going to be thinking about those things. And, and, and if someone makes a comment of some sort that is derogatory or, or in some way not flattering about your appearance, that'll be devastating to you. And your life, you see, will be consumed around that one issue, how you look. If it's about your reputation or how much money you make, it's a, it, um, you'll find all the, uh, or all but so much of your thoughts and your attention and your energy is, is all being narrowed down and focused to that issue. Well, Jesus says, you know, stop it. It's not life. It's, it's not life. Life is, you see, the real you, the inner you that's going to live forever and ever and ever. And if you look at the world that, you know, around us, and you look at our, ourselves as part of this culture as well, the things that we think about and worry about and are anxious about and, and are just engaged in, so much of it is, is just temporal stuff that, that's going to pass away. People um, are, make all kinds of plans without ever thinking about eternity. It's as if there's no such thing as eternity, and that's what Jesus sees. He sees people who don't get it, who don't understand. This is the Jesus who says, don't worry about the guys that can kill your body. Don't worry about that. Worry about the one who can cast both your soul and your body into hell. See, priorities, perspective. Jesus has this perspective. So don't worry about the things that aren't your life. Be engaged and concerned about things that are your life. Think about your soul. Think about eternity. Think about God. Live with a sense of what actually matters. Worry is faithless. It doesn't have that perspective. It's a revelation of a, of a, of a wrong perspective. Secondly, worry is faithless. It doesn't understand God's care for his creation, and it doesn't understand the value God has assigned to his, his people. Jesus says, consider the ravens. Think about it. Reflect on it. Study them. Consider them. Pay attention, and then draw the dots. Connect the dots. You see, he's using a very basic biology lesson. He does the same with the lilies of the field. Just look at creation, you see? Look at what God does. How do the ravens eat? They always seem healthy, don't they? You don't generally see skinny ravens, crows. How, do they, how does that happen? Jesus says they don't, have, they don't have pantries. They don't sow. They don't reap. Well, God feeds them. Well, we know that, don't we? We know that. But, but Jesus says apply that. God takes care of his creatures, and, and God takes great pleasure in taking care of his creatures. Remember, Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He knows what he's talking about. And in Scripture, you'll find that um, God delights in his faithfulness to provide for his creatures. But Jesus says, even go a step further, the ravens are taken care of. God providentially provides for them. And you're, you're way more valuable than, than ravens. Now, I think we know that, but again, do we connect to the dots? If the Father is taking care of 
what um, is valuable to him, will he not much, much, much more take care of what is most valuable to him? If he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you, will, will he then forget to provide for you? See, the, the logic is just, it's so simple. He faithfully feeds the ravens, joyfully feeds the ravens. You're much more valuable than ravens. God will much more faithfully and joyfully take care of you. Doesn't mean, just a note, that you don't have to do anything, right? How does God feed ravens? He doesn't lay out a little dish like we do for the the dog and pour food into it. He provides a creation and then the ravens need to go out and, and get what the Lord has provided. So work. Faith does not mean we don't work. Faith doesn't mean we just sit back and wait for God to do something. God gives us a creation to, uh, to make plentiful. He tells us if, the man, if a man won't work, he, he won't eat. But, but we need to understand, you see, have this God-saturated understanding of reality that our Father in heaven is going to take care of us. And then Jesus shows the faithful, faithlessness of worry um, concerning, because it, it's, it's a misperception concerning our ability. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of his life? The Greek here is actually, uh, can add a cubit to the length of your life. A cubit is the, is the uh, measure from an elbow to your hand. So, uh, by worrying, which of you can add that much to the span of your life? That's not, that's not a lot. Five seconds? It says an hour here. Maybe it was a, a metaphor that was used in that day. It's, it's just one little brief teeny. So if you worry really hard and you're really anxious about all the things that keep you alive, Jesus says, which one of you can add that much? Well, you can. So if we're not able to do even that tiny little bitty thing, Jesus says, why do you worry about the big thing? You see, psychologists tell us that the reason people worry is because they worry is rooted in a desire to be in control and the assumption that we ought to be in control. And Jesus just has a reality check and says, you're not in control. You're not in control. You do not control how long you live. God does. Worry, then, is, is utterly fruitless. It, is, it has no ability to accomplish anything productive. It's, it's like lust. It craves, but never produces, never gives. It robs you instead of peace. It drives you mercilessly with a craving for control, and it's always fruitless. Worry is faithless, and Jesus summarizes it then when he says, Oh, you of little faith. You of little faith. Not, it's not that there's no faith. We do believe in Jesus, but... Again, we're not, we're not seeing the big picture. We're not connecting the dots. We generally think when, there's, uh, when we have anxious thoughts that the problem is a big, the, 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 the root of the worry is a big problem. Jesus says the root of the worry is little faith. We fail to see life according to God. Worry is what you people do when they don't know God, which is why Jesus says all the nations of the world seek after those things. The, the Gentiles and for Jew, uh, the Gentile is just another word for do not know God. Those who do not know God. Jesus says that's how people live. That's how they act when they don't know me, when they don't have a cognizance of the reality of God. But that is not you. You are disciples. 
Your father, isn't that a wonderful thing that Jesus says? Your father knows you need these things. Your father is faithful. See, the great news for Christians is that we have a father in heaven. You can understand why the Gentiles worry, those who don't know God. Because if, if there's no God that you can rely on, that you can look to, man, you're in the middle of a scary world, and you, you, you cannot keep this thing together, and it's going to fall apart. You've seen it. You're watching it fall apart in the lives of your friends or in the life of your family. Um, how do you keep this all together? You can't. It's, it's terrifying. But Jesus says, no, no, you have a Father in heaven. You have a Father in heaven. It's a little poem that's entitled, Overheard in an Orchard. It goes like this, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be. They don't have a heavenly father, such as cares for you and me. That's not probably too far from the truth. Right? Little birds, they're, they happily take what the Lord provides for them. They don't, you don't find them rushing around and worrying and Creation would probably rebuke us if they could. It would admonish us. Don't don't you have a Heavenly Father? Don't don't you have someone that takes care of you? See, think about this in your own home. Think about this in your family. Small children don't worry about where the next meal is coming from. Really, ever. Or they don't worry about who's going to pay the utility bills. I mean, that's what moms and dads are for. And they have that deep confidence that that's going to be provided for. I mean, what would you do with a five-year-old who's, who's constantly worried about the utility bills? Dad, did, did you get the water bill paid this month? What about the electricity? Yeah, honey, got that. Trash? Right, if I'm dad, I'm saying, sweetheart, hey, I got this. We're, we're going to be okay. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. When we're worrying about the details, God has this. Is there any evidence that would be to the contrary? God, God has this. Think about all of the Bible promises, you see, to, to us. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. All of your needs. Doesn't mean we're going to have everything that we, that we want. And sometimes it's going to be, there are going to be difficult, hard painful places, but God will supply all your needs, the Bible says, according to his riches and glory. Paul writes, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain thee. You see, when we worry, when we're anxious, we assume that the anxiety will be cured if the problem is removed, if the circumstances changed. But it never works that way. You'll just find something else to be anxious about. Anxiety, you see, comes from unbelief, not difficult circumstances. And so anxiety will never be cured by better circumstances. Your temporary anxiety might be alleviated by better circumstances, but it will not be cured 
Anxiety and worry can only be cured by the assurance that I have a heavenly father who knows what I need, who considers me much more valuable than ravens or lilies of the field, and yet he faithfully feeds and clothes them, and he will do the same for me. I have nothing to worry about. And that, you see, will transform us and make us do what seem to be impossible things. And so we have third and finally, faith is fruitful. I just like to look at what faith discovers and what faith receives and what faith does. Jesus turns the whole thing around instead. Instead of running after your, your stuff, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Instead of seeking the material things and material needs even, as your, as your heart's concern and desire, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God as your heart's concern and desire. Riken says, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness involves not trying to be rich on earth, but trying to be rich in heaven. That is rich in God. Seeking the kingdom means treasuring God and freeing yourself from the drag of earth. Piper says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is the large overarching command. Be passionate about experiencing the saving, purifying, empowering, love-producing reign of God in your life and over all the world. Thy kingdom come in my life, in my home, in my finances, and over all the nations. You see, God make your kingdom come. That's the passion. And what faith discovers is that when, you, when we seek the kingdom, God adds the rest. He adds the rest. Beg says, God says, if you will take care of my things, I will take care of your things. Israel experienced this so often when they would seek their own things, uh, things went very poorly. When they sought the kingdom, God blessed them richly. What faith discovers is that uh, when we stop worrying about our life and instead worry and seek, be concerned about the things of God, let that be on your heart, let, that, let those things be your prayer, those things be the things that we're seeking, what we discover is that God takes care of the rest. In fact, faith, secondly, what faith receives, we get everything. Fear not, O little flock. Jesus is so tender with us, isn't he? He's not, he's not yelling at us. He's, it's, fear not, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is the whole ballgame, the whole shooting match. Your Father delights, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you everything, to give you a new heaven and a new earth, to give you a glorified body, to give you uh, as a bride to Jesus Christ. It is his good pleasure to make you his citizens forever and ever, and all the glory that belongs to Christ, you'll be sharing in that glory. The riches that we have in the gospel is astonishing, and Jesus says it's given to you. You don't, you don't give your money to get the kingdom. You receive the kingdom. You receive it by faith as you confess your sin, as you look to Jesus Christ. It's a gift given freely to you. Everything, everlasting, eternal life. Man, we've got re- to lay hold of that. You can all maybe sense already that if, if that would be your, com- your conviction, if that would be your passion, if that would be your confidence, then the, the, the other stuff just sort of fades away. It's not, it's not that essential. 
Randy Elkhorn says something like, the, the greatest reason why people are so slow to give and find giving so hard is because they're under the illusion that this is home. And it's not home. This is, this is pilgrimage. Home is coming. And Jesus calls us then to plan for that, what faith does. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail. No thief approaches, no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me just read again from Piper. I think it's really helpful. In other words, he says, possessions on earth are not for hoarding, they are for distributing. In ways that Christ is honored and our joy in heaven is increased. When we give, and especially when we give so generously that we have to sell something, we show that Christ is our treasure and that we love others more than we love security and comfort. If we as a church were gripped by the radical, open-handed liberality that Jesus taught, and if we tasted the freedom from fear and greed that Jesus bought with his own blood, what an avalanche of mercy and missions would be released among us. The average church donor in America, this is 2,000, uh, but contributed a mean of $649 a year. Nearly one quarter of all born-again Christians gave no money to the church in 2000. 12% of those who claimed to be born again tithed, so gave 10%. 12% gave 10% in 2000. I think, we, I think we do better than that here. I hope we do. I pray God that we do. But I think we all would recognize that the things that hinder our giving are exactly the things that Jesus is talking about. And that there's probably more potential for the glory of God and for ministry and mission than we imagine right here if the Lord would, would set us free. So the question is, how do, we, how do we break free of our love affair with possessions, things that make us worry, and, and fill us with, with anxiety? How do we gain hearts that are free to trust God, have great confidence in God, so that we are set free to radical generosity? With our time, with our money, with ourselves, we, we, we live giving ourselves away. Well, we need a new perspective like Jesus is talking about. We need to have a deep conviction that God, uh, our reality is saturated with God so that we're going to be okay. God's got this. And then we need that new purpose, seeking the kingdom of God, delighting in what we, we receive from God. But primarily, we need a new power. Because just knowing that, I don't think I've said anything this morning that you, most of you, haven't heard before, don't already know. I know these things. So why do I worry? We need, we need a new power. Something as mighty as the ability to make lame men walk. Some principle, you see, that will free us from the principle of worry, the principle of fear, the principle of anxiety. How does that happen? Jesus isn't just speaking sentimental thoughts. He's talking to his disciples and speaking impossible things. How does that happen? Well, uh, uh, Beg used the illustration of a jet plane. How, do, how in the world do you get a, 
machine weighing hundreds of tons made of metal, how do you get that machine to defy the laws of gravity and fly at 35,000 feet? Gravity doesn't get turned off when the airplane goes to the runway. There's no anti-gravity switch. But you see, what happens is that the laws of gravity are overcome by laws that have greater power. The laws of aerodynamics takes over and overcomes the law of gravity, and the impossible happens. And that's how the gospel works. It introduces a new power, a new principle that's greater than the power of worry, greater than the power of this need to be in control, greater than the power of materialism and covetousness and worry. And, and when the gospel, you see, when the laws of the gospel take over, then the impossible happens and we'll find that we're actually not worried about what we'll eat or what we will wear. And we're anxious about seeking the kingdom of God and we're finding joy in giving ourselves and our stuff away. But the power is in the gospel. The power is always in the gospel. And so to come back again to that the basic message, you see the message of a cross where the very Son of God, second person of the Trinity, gave everything away, even his life, for you. Because you were poor, he gave away all of his riches to make you rich. He gave away everything. His passion was for the kingdom of God. The cross, then, you see, is this, is this wonderful antidote to worry. Even when it's hard, when, when life is difficult and painful, the cross, you see, is where we go. And, and we don't maybe know why God is doing what he's doing, but we do know what it cannot be. It cannot be that he does not care. It can't be because he doesn't care. And he invites us, then, to cast all of our care on him. All of your worry, all of your care, bring to the mercy seat and leave them there. Never a burden he cannot bear, and never a friend like Jesus. Never a friend like Jesus. The power is the gospel, the message of a cross, the message of a resurrection that assures us that God's grace will be sufficient for us all through this life to bring us into the life to come. And, and the gospel is a message then of an, an eternal kingdom freely given by, by grace to those who believe and so we lack nothing. We lack absolutely nothing, and we're set free in the short little bit of time we have here on this earth to live lives free of worry, lives full of generosity. I want to wrap this morning just by asking you to think about your life, think about your worry, your anxiety. Jesus calls you this morning to repent. Just stop it. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a management technique. He's, he's just saying there's, there's no need for it. And, and listen, I'm in the front of this line. I was just talking to Joanne yesterday um, you know, about the sermon this morning, and um, I said, you know, I, th I think I worry, you know, too much. She said, yeah, you do. I said, no, I mean, uh, you know, I, I just worry about things that, uh, you know, actually never happen. She says, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not how I thought the conversation might go. I, <laughs> but it's true. It's absolutely true. And Jesus' words this morning just uh, come right home. There's, there's, stop it. Stop it. There's no need for it. Confess it. Repent of it. Turn from it. Hate it. This is just as sick as lust. It's just as devastating, just as debilitating, just as joy-robbing, just as fruitless. 
But then we got to get practical, and that's where it comes for you and your family, you and your loved ones. How is this going to get practical? And let me just give you an idea. Maybe this Christmas season you say we're cutting the budget in half, and what we were going to spend on presents for ourselves this year um, goes to people who could really use it. We live in a world where people, our uh, brothers and sisters, are suffering a great deal. We live, there folks in the congregation are in difficult times. What about if we just cut that budget in half and, and rest, invested the rest of it in eternity? What about if we rearranged our budget, starting now, so that we're finally actually giving at least 10% to the ministry of the gospel here at Harvest Church? We just start there. And then we think about prayerfully how could we expand our giving to the things of God in the year to come. We have, um, I don't know, $750,000 in debt on our building. Let's get serious about, about paying that off so that we're freed for more gospel ministry. This, this building is used so magnificently for the, for the kingdom of God. It's not just bricks and mortar, it's ministry. There's so many things in the kingdom of God to give to, but it's, it's actually going to take us being then serious about our finances. And if, you, if, if all you hear out of this sermon is, Pastor wants uh, more money for the building, shame on you. Shame on you. Jesus Christ is inviting you to life in your finances. And he's inviting you to worry-free living in all of your life. And by his power... By his grace, he can give it. Let's ask him to. Lord Jesus, there's not a single person in this room that can say that there was nothing in Christ's words for us. We are the most blessed people materially in the history of the world, and yet we so often are the most anxious and worried people. Worried about our next purchase, worried about how to take care of the purchases we've made, worried about how to keep up with the neighbors, or maybe, Lord, just worried about very basic things. And yet, Jesus, you, you rebuke us this morning. And so we confess our sin. We confess our sin. Forgive us for giving ourselves a pass on our anxiety and our impatience and our anger and our frustration. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we've charged you with some sort of failure, either with our mouth or in our heart, with our refusal to be thankful and joyful our refusal to be at peace, our refusal to just humble ourselves and realize how much you've loved us and how much you promise to care for us, even when it's hard. And some of us, Lord, are doing very well. We've been financially blessed, and we're very concerned about how to protect those resources. when this very night our soul might be required of us. So Jesus, these are, these are hard words for materialistic American Christians, and yet we thank you that you speak them because you love us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would then help us simply to believe. 
that we would put aside our worry and our anxiety, that we would rebuke those anxious thoughts just like we would a perverted thought. That we would see the sin that it is. That we would understand how it robs us of our joy, how it robs us of life, how it robs us of fruitfulness. And that, Lord God, we would increasingly take joy in giving, giving our time, giving our money, giving ourselves to the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that you would then bless us as your people. We want to grow in these things. For our freedom, for our eternal joy and pleasure, and most of all, for the glory of our King. We pray it in his name. Amen. We're going to respond to God's word this morning. I will praise him still. God stills our fears. And we learn to live and trust in him. Let's stand together. We'll sing the two verses. First and last verse of It Is Well With My Soul. Receive the blessing of the Lord your God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance of his face upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.